Jesus planning to come again, and uh, the admonition to be ready as the story of the ten virgins was given to us to consider. But today we're going to continue along this vein with the next uh, text that comes in line after that from Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Reading in Jesus' name, I invite you to stand with me as I read from the New International Version. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have... Put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him, and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside, into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here ends the gospel lesson of the day, our sermon text. You may be seated. As Christians living in this day and age, we ask the big question, why am I here? We know from Scripture that we're not here merely to strive for our own personal benefit in life, earning wealth for our own pleasures and uses. But the glory of an eternal kingdom, that's why we're here, to bring glory to Christ 
and the eternal kingdom that he has established. My heart resonates with the quote from martyred missionary Jim Elliott, who once said, He is no fool who will lose what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I just love that quote. You've probably heard me use it before, but it speaks to me regarding today's text and actually a lot of texts in our scripture. Jesus died and rose for our salvation and is coming again to establish his eternal kingdom. That said, today's text is the fourth in a series of parables. A parable is a story with a central point that is uh, meant to teach something uh, simple using everyday language and something that uh, the reader or hearer can imagine or visualize in their minds. And so we have the fourth text in a row that Jesus is bringing to us in the 25th chapter of Matthew regarding the coming kingdom which answers the question concerning how we are called to live while we wait for His coming. Today's text teaches in no uncertain terms that as Christians, we have a purpose for living. While we wait, a purpose that is larger than ourselves, goes beyond the mere uh, elements of daily living, But it's a purpose that captures our hearts, consumes our minds, puts us into action as we think with gratitude in our hearts about all that Jesus has done for us. And so, this morning, we want to talk about this parable of the talent. And uh, those of you who maybe are less familiar with this passage than some are are maybe thinking about your abilities or giftedness that you have. But a talent in this particular passage has nothing to do with that. It's a designation of money. It's a, a unit of value for the money of that time. And so when we hear that term talents, let's not let our minds drift to something that we possess in the way of ability. But this morning, I'd like to ask three questions concerning this parable. And the first question is, what do we learn about God from this story? Secondly, what do we learn about people? And thirdly, what do we learn about God in relationship to people? And so, first of all, today, let's consider what do we learn about God from this text? And what we learn, if I can put it, in a nutshell, is that God entrusts us as his servants, as his people, with his purposes. In Matthew 25, 14, this text I have just read, Jesus tells the story of a wealthy man who entrusts sums of money to his three servants. Now, we must understand that these three servants are servants that he knows well that he has a relationship with, that he is willing to entrust with large sums of money, as we'll see. One receives five talents of money, one gets two, and a third gets one talent. And uh, it's interesting that the NIV calls a talent something worth $1,000. 
Uh, we learned today that there's a note in another study Bible that suggests that a talent is 20 years worth of an average salary for a worker. Uh, I did some study in the NIV application commentary written by Michael Wilkins, and he suggests that a calculation based on the comparison of a daily wage of an average worker in Bible times uh, be made with that of an average worker of today. And his uh, amount comes up to something like uh, a quarter of a million per talent. So you can see that there's a lot of scholars with a lot of opinions on how much that value is, but suffice to say, it's a tremendous value compared to the value uh, that was in existence uh, then, but it was a lot of money then, and it's a lot of money now, and we should think of it that way. If we use Wilkins' uh, value, we would have an amount of $2 million to be distributed among those three servants. A chunk of change, wouldn't you say? A lot of money. Which tells us a lot about the relationship that the, the master had with these servants. He's entrusting them with his wealth, with a lot of his wealth. And he's expecting them to make good use of it while he goes on his journey. God the Father entrusts we who are his people with gifts and abilities to carry out his kingdom purpose. It's a mystery of the kingdom, but it's true that without God, we cannot, but without us, God will not. God has chosen his people, his servants, those who know him by faith, to be those that he entrusts with the responsibility for building his kingdom. Now, do you think God could have done it without our assistance? Of course, he's God. But it's just a mystery of the kingdom. It's an amazing truth that God seems to limit himself to what he can do through his people. That should give us chills as we think about what that means. How much God loves us and entrusts his kingdom purposes to us, his own people. And it should begin to change us as we think about what a relationship means with Jesus Christ. He entrusts us to reach the world with the message of his salvation. What an exciting thought that is. Does God have that capability on his own, of course, and yet he uses us to accomplish things? We may ask why this is so, and yet it's entirely consistent with his purpose since creation. We go back to uh, the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created mankind. Why? For the purpose of fellowship with himself. That's why human beings are on the planet. God created everything in the world, but he wanted to uh, create mankind with whom he could have and enjoy fellowship and share his heart with and just love on us. And he did that when he created Adam and Eve. In Genesis 1.27 it says, So God created man in his own image. Now, does that mean we look like God? Well, God is the Spirit, first of all. And uh, it's not about physical appearance, but 
He created us in His own image, which means a capacity for fellowship with Him. To know Him in a personal way is what God had in mind as He created mankind in His own image. That fellowship was enjoyed in the context of purpose. Scripture is clear on that. It matters to God that we understand the purpose for which we're here. God entrusted Adam and Eve with the responsibility of managing the garden, paradise, in which they were placed. Genesis chapter 2.15 says that the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. That was God's design from the very beginning. That's his purpose for humanity. Then in Genesis chapter 2.20, it goes on to say, So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. Man had a role in managing this beautiful paradise that God had created. The faithful discharge of their responsibility delighted the heart of God and brought fulfillment to Adam and Eve. That's the lesson we learned from going back to Genesis in the very beginning. Where do we get our fulfillment today as people? There's a lot of attempts made by mankind to fill that empty spot in the human heart that's there because of the pattern of sin that has developed over the centuries that have separated us from God. But God created mankind in the beginning before their fall into sin with that fulfillment to be found in serving God, to be managing the creation that He has established. And so the faithful discharge of responsibility was what delighted God's heart and gave mankind fulfillment. Without God, people seem to quickly lose sight of life's kingdom purpose, to slip into a sense of selfish futility. Why is it that so many people who even have so much of this life's goods and, and wealth and, and uh, well-being seem to be still struggling with essential happiness, fulfillment? We can experience a lot of good things in this world, yes, but what gives mankind that deep sense of value and purpose in his heart Well, I've got good news for today because the Christian lives a life that is more than something William Shakespeare called uh, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. There is a purpose for life. There is ultimate meaning in being placed here on the planet that we can enjoy. We will not, in the words of Mark Twain, simply vanish from a world where we are of no consequence, mourned for a day, and then forgotten. That won't be us. Those of us who had the opportunity to be at Bob Platt's funeral the other day heard about a man who trusted Jesus as his Savior and left a legacy Not necessarily in financial wealth, but in a family that understood what the meaning of knowing Christ is all about. And the joy and the fulfillment that that brings.
to their lives. I was blessed at Bob's funeral. And I know it was just the service that he would have wanted. And so, we are now to ask the question, what do we learn about people from this text? And what we learn is that we are each unique in our capacity and giftedness to accomplish God's purpose. Ask yourself if you believe that at the core of your being, that you are a unique creation of God by virtue of the gift of faith that he has given you to accomplish the purpose that he has for you. As the story of our parable progresses, the servant with five talents doubled his money. The one with two talents did likewise. But the servant with one talent buried his talent in the ground. Eventually, the master returned from his lengthy journey. And the day of reckoning took place when he would settle his accounts. To the servant with five talents who had doubled his money, the master said, Well done! Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. That was the reward for being faithful in little things. The little that they were given to do. I'll put you in charge of even more. I will give you more responsibility. And can we understand that as greater fulfillment? It's a wonderful thought to think about. The servant who had doubled his two talents said the very same words. And we're not told how long the master was away, but we can take it for granted that it was quite a long time for this wealth to have been multiplied like it seems to have been. And he was pleased on his return with the investment of the first two servants. However, the story gives quite a different outcome for the servant who had buried his talent, which we're going to look at more in depth in just a moment. But I've always been fascinated by the fact that each of the three servants were given a different number of talents. Why weren't they all just given an equal amount? Aren't we all equal as people? Well, that's apparently not what the text is making a point of here. Each of the three were given a different number of talents but it doesn't mean that God valued any of the servants any more or less because of it. It's just that God, in his infinite wisdom, gives individuals only as much responsibility as he knows they can handle. And that's in the mind of God. God knows what he's doing and we trust him with that knowledge. He gives us each a purpose that is suitable for us according to the gifts, abilities, and capacities that He supplies. That's God's doing. That's His gift. Like snowflakes, we are all unique in our servanthood. We have all been given a different DNA, a uh, different background, a different set of opportunities that comes through our life experience. And God knew us before we were even formed in our mother's womb. It's a wonderful thing to contemplate. Therefore, it stands to reason that God didn't intend for all of us to be identical or five-talent people. 
Note that the parable makes no distinction, distinction in value between the five-talent, two-talent, or one-talent servant. The two-talent servant heard the exact words of commendation as the five-talent person. He had doubled his, his uh, allotment, and he got the same uh, commendation by the master. And uh, many people, I think, feel inadequate because... They are not as well endowed or as gifted as other people. Our instinct is to begin to compare ourselves with others. I remember when I first went to seminary and got to know the fellows who were also in the seminary class with me and saw the uh, tremendous gifts that many of them possessed for ministry. And I'm going, what am I doing here? (laughs) That was my first reaction. But, you know, that tendency to compare ourselves with others regarding the gifts that we have is such a, a trap. I'll call it a trap of Satan himself to get us to dwell on what we don't have compared to others instead of what we do have. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you are in relationship with him through faith, God has given you exactly what you need to utilize for his glory, regardless of what anyone else is doing with their gifts. And I want you to rest in that truth today and just feel good about it. You will hear God's commendation for the way in which you use what you have been entrusted with. And I think that's a great blessing for all of us to realize in our lives. Don't let yourself feel less than. I remember watching uh, the movie The Natural. Uh, That was out in in the 80s about uh, Roy Hobbs, the, the baseball player, who wanted to be the best there ever was. And he went to great lengths to prove that, but he ended up being shot by a woman who... He didn't even really know. And it kind of changed the whole outcome of his life. Forced him on a big detour in his life. Came back then as a rookie, being close to 40 years old already. And never had the career he would have had had he not let himself be driven by wanting to be the best there ever was. But by simply using the gifts that he'd been given. And so... I guess I'm making this point because I think it's very important in terms of our stewardship of gifts and abilities that God has given us. Comparing ourselves with others is a trap of the enemy to hinder us from accomplishing the unique purpose that he has for each of us. And so don't let uh, feelings of inadequacy uh, shape you or influence you in your life. Because that will actually be pride in disguise. It will be the self turned in on itself. And uh, it will bring about less than God's pleasure and less than your fulfillment. Well, the life of Old Testament character Moses illustrates all this. He had seen the burning bush. He had received his call to lead the people of Israel. God's chosen people, out of their slavery in Egypt. You remember the Old Testament story. And yet Moses was hesitant to obey God with his call. What if they don't believe me, he said. Moses asked God in chapter 4, verse 1, 
In response, God gave him signs to use, but Moses still wasn't convinced. He queried God further, saying, O Lord, I have never been eloquent. In verse 10, God said, I will help you and teach you what to say. I'll give you your brother Aaron to use as the mouthpiece for you. But Moses said, Lord, please send someone else to do this. Up until then, the Lord had been patient with Moses, as he is patient with all of us, willing to encourage a weak faith, which certainly is a sign of God's grace. Don't you agree? But then, we find Moses in verse 14 teetering on the brink of unbelief through his fear, and uh, thus hindering God's work in his life. And uh, we could see Moses as having one hand on the shovel, getting ready to dig a hole for his calling to be placed in, like the, uh, one, like the one servant in our parable today. And what do we find from God? Well, that brings us to our third question of the text. What do we learn about God in relationship to people? And what we learn is that God desires full use of the resources that he provides, those whom he calls, in order to fulfill his kingdom purpose of offering salvation to who? To the world. I think it's fantastic that Pastor Danny is in Thailand today with his family, with 80-some other missionaries in our church body to just share in that common calling that they have, to be encouraged by one another's presence and to to share the difficulties and the joys of that missionary life. It's an exciting thought to think about. God desiring for us to use, too. Those of us who are ordinary people here stateside, just doing what God has given us to do each day with our lives. To, to be willing to use the resources He provides even us, whom He has also called to be a part of this kingdom purpose, in order to fulfill that purpose as He would offer salvation to the world through us. Through whatever it is that He calls us to use. A friendly smile. Uh, just a random act of kindness, something that will draw attention to an ex- to something that people don't see every day. And they could ask, why are you doing this? And it, it's just as simple as God has put you in my heart to, to bless this way. That's all about the evangelistic enterprise that we share in as His people. And so He wants us to use our... Uh, giftedness and resources for the kingdom purpose. The heart of Jesus' teaching in this parable is found in the Master's exchange with the third servant. And I really want to hit this with you today. What was his response to the, the Master when the Master asked him to show what he had done with his one talent? And he said, I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. Think of the disappointment of the master when he realized what had been done. This servant 
was essentially blaming his master for his inactivity, saying, in effect, if you weren't such a demanding boss, I might have been able to do something with this money. But out of fear, out of fear, I decided to play it safe so as not to anger you. Now what does that tell us about this servant's understanding of the relationship he had with his master? And we're by now getting to see that the master is Jesus himself. It's God himself. And these servants are those of us who are called to take the blessings of the kingdom and share our faith with others. If you weren't such a demanding boss, I might have been able to do something. Is that our perspective in any shape or form of who God is? A demanding boss? And we're locked up with fear because we don't think we're good enough or we don't have enough faith or maybe we're struggling to accept the fact that I really don't know if I want to commit that wholeheartedly to the kingdom after all? Think about this one servant and where he was and what God's reaction to him was. He called him wicked. He called him lazy. He said that he should be banished from the household where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is that? if it doesn't suggest to us the penalty for actual unbelief. You see, there's something about our heart attitudes and our actions that demonstrate where we really are in relationship to Christ. And when we understand that God in Christ has reached out to us in love and invited us to be members of his kingdom, those whom have the purpose to share, which is of the kingdom of God coming to the world and to the lives of people. And he wants to use us. But if we don't really see that as why we would be called to be Christians, why would we be in the church at all? If it's out of fear that we have, a, have this kind of thinking about who God is. We've been singing today, I noticed the word freedom that came up in our worship music today. It's freedom that Christ wants to give his followers. Freedom to do, in response to his love and grace, what he has called us to do. And that freedom is what brings us great joy, gives us fulfillment in living, brings the Father great pleasure, the Master of the house, if you will. And that's exciting. And I think that's what this is intended to say. Are we serving Christ out of that kind of love? Are we recognizing that it is by grace that we have been saved through the gift of faith that he has given us? Not by works. Not by what we grit our teeth and perform out of our own self-effort. That doesn't honor the Master or give us fulfillment. That's not what salvation is all about. Serving Christ, living in His kingdom until He comes again, has to do with being grateful for the gift 
that has been given to us. Loving God as we demonstrate love to people. Offering Jesus Christ as one whom to know is life eternal. And also one whom to serve is the joy of the kingdom. And so may that be our thinking today as we consider how while we live near the end of time, with the coming of Christ seemingly more and more imminent, that we would take that sense of what it means to be members of the kingdom, servants of the Master who has gifted us in such a wonderful way and called us to fulfill our lives by going along with his purpose for living. May that be true of us in the coming days. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this word today. We just are so grateful in our hearts for what you have given us to use for your glory. Lord, forgive us for the times in which we tend to fall back into a a sense of self-centeredness and fear. Lord, take away our fear, because where there is faith, there is no fear. And so today, Lord, we serve you by faith, and we thank you for calling us to be servants in your household. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.